0: Welcome to Film Strip. I'm Ron. And I'm Anthony. And this is our review of Saw, starring Lee Wanell, Carrie Elways, Danny Glover, Ken Leung, Michael Emerson, Sean, Shawnee Smith, and Tobin Bell. Directed by none other than James Wan, released in 2004 on a $1.2 million budget, it grossed $103.9 million at the box office and kicked off a 10 movie franchise. Including the spin off Spiral that's due to come out soon, and the recently announced Saw 10, or possibly Saw X. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll recognize the dulcet tones of my guest, Anthony. But for those of you who aren't filled with the Christmas spirit, just who in the hell do you think you are, and what's your deal?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I am the best of three hosts of my year round Christmas podcast, Tis the Podcast. In which we cover a different Christmas movie or television special or television episode every Monday morning in your feeds and rate it on a scale of 1 to 10 and keep an ongoing list of our favorite Christmas canon films.
0: Which is the most amazing achievement of all that they've kept the list this time and they've done a couple hundred episodes at this point. Am I wrong?
1: Uh, No, you're not wrong. I think we are well into 200 now. And the most amazing achievement about that list is that I'm still holding Julia and Tom to it when they have (laughs) tried to ditch it so many times now.
0: Well, I've given you many times I've told them what I will do to improve their their list. I'm a regular listener of the podcast. and I can 100% tell you that it's a lot of fun. But... (sighs) You're a regular, your regular guest too. You and Jay have been on a few times now and are going to appear later on this year, which is very exciting. Um, Anthony and I just recorded a, a uh, and Lindsay just recorded a Patreon not too long ago that is on the says the Podcast Patreon feed. And I suggest you scrape a couple dollars out of your pockets and go check it out because uh, I think it's a lot of fun. And not just because Anthony's always nice enough to have me on, but uh, I, I get a kick out of their Patreon content. I am one of their Patreon backers. So I will double that plug for film strip for you, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now, your podcast normally limits itself to Christmas movies, which is kind of a genre in and of itself. Now, Saw is one of the first movies that launched the mid-aughts to late-aughts torture porn genre. And I can't
1: believe you said you went in your little... Um rundown earlier 2004 i can't believe it's been that long since the first one came out
0: yeah it doesn't feel like it's been that long especially if you're me and you wrote about at least one if not two of the saw movies at den of geek so that's my plug for myself but uh (laughs) yeah the mid-aughts torture porn genre uh anthony what what do you how do you feel about those movies
1: there, <laughs> I have different levels of tolerance for each one. For each one, I, I'm not the biggest fan of torture porn. Give me a good old-fashioned slasher film or a good old-fashioned uh, boogeyman film. And I much prefer that to the torture porn. But sorry, hold on. Give me one second so I can... Oh, wait, never mind. He went to a better tour. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, I, can, I, can, I can handle it. They're just not my favorite genre. Whether or not I'd like to Saw
0: we'll get into in a bit now it's funny because while it kind of kicked off that torture porn saw in and of itself isn't actually a it has a couple moments of torture but it's not exactly the torture porn that that we'll get more familiar with and that we'll talk about more in depth later on because it is more like a detective movie or a, a mystery than it is uh you know the kind of thing you would expect from the splat pack
1: and i forgot about that because it had been so long since i've seen this film and from uh i just remembered what it became later on in the franchise which is straight up gore porn torture porn like i forgot how much this was more akin to something like seven which is a film i love
0: and and i think it kind of helps seven's case that kevin spacey is creepy in it because it's not (laughs) colored by um What we've all learned about him in the intervening
1: years. (laughs) For our, for your listeners, what's this film actually about? Why don't you give us a summary?
0: Usually in these stories, when you wake up in a bathtub, you're missing a kidney as photographer, Adam Stanheit says shortly after waking up in the most disgusting bathroom in cinema history, not counting the toilet and train spotting on the other side of the room is Dr. Lawrence Gordon, who is extremely handsome and cool under pressure because he carry always Between them is a corpse holding a revolver and a cassette recorder. Both both men have a tape in their pockets. After some fumbling around, Adam secures the recorder and plays his tape, which exhorts him to escape. Lawrence's tape is more chilling. If Adam isn't dead by the time the clock hits six, his wife and daughter will be killed. They're the latest victims of a notorious killer called the Jigsaw Killer, who traps his victims in malicious, yet life-affirming games. Five months before... Gordon himself was the prime suspect in the Jigsaw murders, and he's even interrogated by detectives Tap and Sing about it, but he's got an alibi that clears him. Still, he sticks around to watch Amanda give her testimony as the only survivor of Jigsaw's games, because somehow that's not an egregious violation of privacy and police procedures. Tap becomes obsessed, studying Amanda's tape time and time again until he cracks the clue of where Jigsaw's warehouse is, and he and Sing rush off to try and apprehend the killer. They catch him, but after rescuing a man from one of his games, the man later dies, Singh is killed by another one of Jigsaw's booby traps, and Tap has his throat cut. Tap becomes obsessed, being fired from the police and locking himself into what we hate movies would call an evidence dungeon, obsessing over Gordon and Jigsaw. Gordon and Adam try a couple different routes to escape, including a fake poisoning, only to fail to lure the person watching them into the room after finding a cell phone and some other toys. Gordon and Adam talk about their abduction experience and bond briefly, before the phone rings. It's Gordon's wife, Allison, with a man holding a gun on her. She warns him not to trust Adam. Turns out Adam has been spying on Gordon and might be working with Jigsaw, question mark? Except he's not. An orderly named Zepp is. The clock hits six and Hindle goes to kill Allison, but she fights him off. The struggle draws Tap in from where he's been watching Gordon's apartment. Tap and Zepp Hendel go on a merry chase and Hendel shoots Tap, killing him. But they're close to the subway station bathroom, close enough that Gordon is startled by the shot. Alarmed, Gordon saws off his foot, then uses the corpse's revolver to shoot Adam, quote-unquote, killing him. Zepp goes in the room to kill Gordon for not finishing the game in time, only for Adam to leap up off the floor Voorhees-style and bashes up to death with the toilet tank lid. Gordon goes off to get help while Adam searches in vain for the key. Then, suddenly, the corpse sets up, and it's actual Jigsaw! He tells Adam that the key to his ankle cuff was in the tub, but Adam had sent it down the drain when he woke up. Adam tries to kill the Jigsaw and gets shocked for his troubles. Jigsaw then shuts off the lights and leaves the bathroom and leaves Adam, presumably to die, as credits roll. Oh, he definitely dies if you've <laughs> seen the sequels.
1: He, his corpse is left to rot along with the foot of Dr. Gordon.
0: Which is a shame because you think he could have probably gotten it reattached or something since he's a surgeon and probably <laughs> knows other surgeons.
1: So that was a really good plot summary, by the way.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I tried my best <laughs> to make them memorable
1: memorable, I think, for the wrong
0: reasons in this film, is Lee Whannell. Okay, so let's talk briefly about Lee Whannell. Basically, him and James Wan were best friends who went to film school together, and one of the movies that Inspired Saw was Wan thinking he had a brain tumor due to recurring migraines and wondering what he would do if he was given a year to live. So, as you were going to say, Lee 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 Whannell is one of the worst things about this movie, and he always has been to me. But... Upon re-watching it, I was struck by one big question before we even start to talk about the movie. Which one of them had the worst American accent? Lee Winnell? I'm going Lee Whannell. And I used to go Lee Whannell too, but upon listening to it this time, I just kept waiting for Princess Bride to lapse back into his normal accent. He's fallen a long way since Princess Bride. This
1: is not his best performance either.
0: We all know his best performance was in the 1996 The Thriller, The Crush, starring a young Alicia Silverstone before we all knew she was kind of Luke. I mean, that was right during the
1: (laughs) right when uh, critics were about to shame her for Schumacher's Batman and Robin. Fat shame her for Schumacher's Batman and Robin. So I think that might have helped her.
0: Oh, that was no. That was well after this. This was when she was fresh out of the Aerosmith videos. This was when she was young. She was only 18 here. Not the 22 she would be when they started fat shaming her. It it is, it is very, very sad because, but you know. yeah, I think
1: that definitely she anyway.
0: <laughs> All right, so what what would you do if you were given a short time? I don't think thing? my first thought, like James
1: Wan's apparently was, was to make other pre- people appreciate their life by uh, putting them in traps that would, if not kill them, dismember them. I would probably quit my job go on a spending spree and <laughs> leave those close to me saddled with debt when I, while I got to enjoy life to the fullest in my final year. <laughs> I don't know. I would travel. I,
0: I honestly would travel lots of places I'd want to see. What about you? I don't know. Probably run up a bunch of debts. So that way when I died, it went with me and do similar things. You know, you know, I'd love to go back to to the UK and see Scotland again. And I'd actually like to go to Ireland this time and, any number of things, but you—you—you uh, you, you brought up a very important point to me. You mentioned that his games, that Jigsaw's games, all involve like dismemberment and or possibly murder. So, does his whole deal about trying to make people appreciate life make any sense to you? Given what he does, it makes sense make to me happen? in a twisted sort of way.
1: If I survived that bear trap. Like if I survived with like a second to spare, I would definitely appreciate my life more. I, it would probably leave me <laughs> in such a devastated state. I I'd probably mess up a lot of my remaining life, but I would definitely appreciate the fact that I was alive. They they make a I think it's Gordon in this film makes a really good point that Jigsaw does not actually kill one person in this film directly
0: that's fair. That's the Charles Manson defense. He's not killing people, but he's putting them into positions where other people basically are because I mean, he gets Zep Hindle pulled into his scheme. and it and it makes me wonder, I'm kind of jumping ahead of my notes here, but that we know why Amanda' is chosen. Amanda's chosen because she's a drug addict. She doesn't appreciate her life. Gordon is chosen because he is, you know, cheating on his wife and kind of a general like checked out scumbag. What do you think Adam and Zep did to get roped into this? Is Adam's only crime that... I think he was a voyeur. I think that was the whole point,
1: that jinx must not like voyeurs. And Zep, I have no clue. Zep, though... Um- What's his name? Michael Emerson. It just has a creepy air about him in general. Always has from, I mean, even on Lost, he was a big part of Lost. And I just never, he was always creepy to me. But I don't know what this guy's deal was. But I wasn't happy to see him go.
0: I wasn't upset to see him go come the end of this film. You mentioned Michael Emerson. We've already talked about Lee Whannell and Carrie Always. Is Billy the Saw Puppet the only character in this movie that's really likable?
1: <laughs> no, I will argue not. Although Billy the Puppet is iconic. I love that thing. Such a cool, simple design, Inclu- including the voice. Like, I used to have a mini Billy doll that sat on my desk, and he was creepy. I just to have to kind of put him behind my computer monitor at night so I wouldn't wake up in the middle of the night and see him staring at me.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, I'd like to give a special shout out to my good, my good longtime friend, Sarah Dobbs of the chillennial horrors podcast who in like 2010 or something went to a Halloween party as Billy from saw. She had a, like a tricycle and she had the black suit and the red tie and, and her face all done up with the big red cheeks and the hollow around her awesome. eyes. It looked amazing. You'll have to
1: show me a picture. D- d- you found Billy effective though, right?
0: Oh yeah. Billy is my favorite character and Billy is the Chucky of the saw universe except he's not funny either, but, you know, and he's not nearly... Uh, although, in a in an iconic voice-off, though, I think Tobin Bell, after these movies especially, and Bradley Jarif would be a good, like, who's got the creepier-sounding voice and why. I think Tobin Bell might
1: actually take that. All I know is if all of these movie studios can work out their rights to do more versus horror movies. I would love to see a Billy the puppet versus
0: Chucky the doll.
1: Maybe Jigsaw, maybe Jigsaw dies and possesses Billy.
0: And uh, that's smart because uh, we'll talk about Jigsaw possibly being dying later, but, but to answer your actual question, I did find one character
1: apart from Billy likable in this. And that is your tropey older cop who's willing to break all the rules to catch his obsession David Tapp played by Danny Glover and boy was
0: I happy to see him in this film oh I was thrilled to see Danny Glover he he, he was only in this movie uh, he was the third leading character in this movie and he's only in the movie for like 10 or 15 minutes total because they only had two days with Danny he shot Glover. all Shoot. that in two days that's actually he shot all that in two days yeah which is quite a bit considering he's one of the more important parts of the movie and he's like the biggest actor in the movie. So is Danny Glover just <laughs> playing Murtaugh here after Riggs finally drives a nuts? That's exactly is that who he was playing. I pictured this as Murtaugh.
1: He finally got away from Riggs, nearing retirement. And like all cops nearing retirement, he gets uh he gets a bad rap dealing with a serial killer who's gonna take him out just before. Just before the end, just before his light reward
0: in life. <laughs> yeah. one of, uh, Do you feel like Tap being obsessive is necessary to the case? Like necessary to the film? Because he could have just been watching Gordon because, you know, he's a cop and they can do that. I think so. I think it
1: is. Because I don't think. I mean, the other cops cleared Gordon, right? No one really suspected him anymore. It was just Tap. So I think Tap's obsession really. I mean, I think Tap Succession got Adam involved and (laughs) roped up in this because he had Adam following Gordon. I don't know if Adam would have necessarily been on Jigsaw's radar otherwise.
0: That's fair, because I don't know how important Adam is, but I mean, Jigsaw somehow found Amanda and she was just a... Are you a fan of Shawnee Smith? I am. I've been a fan of her since uh, she did The Blob, uh, the remake of The Blob with uh, one of the Dylans. Matt or Kevin, I can't remember which. I think Matt. She was, yeah. I, I've
1: always I've always liked her. And she she was in Becker. A lot of people would know her from Becker, but uh I've gotta mention she is currently filming a Christmas movie, just because that's my deal as a podcaster. She has a 2021 Christmas movie coming out called Christmas versus the Walters. So
0: hmm. Well that's fun, because in real life, uh she hates horror movies. And she wasn't going to sign on to this movie until she watched the short film that uh, James Wan and Lee Winnell did in college, and she saw that it, despite the title, it was more of a suspense movie than. And, was and a then she got spider. wrapped into a
1: million of its sequels, which became full-on splatter films.
0: <laughs> yep, uh, she actually was four months pregnant oh, wow. when she was doing Saw Two. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> so they had to hide that <laughs> during shooting. But yeah, uh, funny enough, the same reason that she did this movie because she watched a short film. It's the same reason why Cary always signed on. They sent him the short film because he wasn't really looking to do a full-on splatter film. But uh, when he saw what it was, he was really impressed. And the thing that got Tobin Bell to sign on is the big reveal at the end. When Jigsaw sets up, that's the, the main reason he signed on for it. Because he was like, if they do this right, it's going to knock them dead in the aisles. They did no it right. It. And I think they did it right. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know about you. the fir- The first time I saw this, I had no idea
1: that. No, nope, neither did I. And I remember I saw this in theaters, and it was a it was one of those reaction moments of the crowd. And I thought it was handled really well, especially with that Hello Zep theme that became synonymous with this franchise. That that music, it it was done extraordinarily well i do wonder how much of a paycheck uh tobin bell got to lie there the whole movie and get maybe one scene in the hospital besides
0: that or, i mean i'm sure he's made his money on on the seven or eight or ten other movies that are coming but yeah you mentioned the score and i really kind of like the score of this film and it's uh from this guy charlie clauser who used to be with nine inch nails in the 90s and 2000s He worked with uh, Rob Zombie, who as a director is often lumped into the Splat Pack with James Wan and Neil Marshall, Rob Zombie, of course, Darren Lynn Boosman, Alexander Aja, those kind of guys who were Eli Eli Roth, especially. They're all kind of considered part of the Splat Pack because they were the sort of torture porn guys except neil marshall didn't do torture porn he did a werewolf movie where werewolves got and i don't know if i i mean
1: rob zombie does torture porn but i would put him in a league of his own because i think with him it's (laughs) less torture porn and more he just goes to he doesn't he doesn't know how to rein himself in and just goes to extremes in all senses of the word in his film
0: yeah well i mean so this guy knows that kind of scene and he knows those kind of people and uh Klauser's actually the guy who did the theme song for American Horror. Oh, you know stories, what? I
1: can so. kind of tell now that you mention that. Like, it has some
0: similarities to the soundtrack.
1: But I, I want to go back to something you mentioned. You've mentioned a few times now the short film that inspired this movie. Do, have you watched that?
0: No, I haven't. It's, uh, I believe it's an extra on the one of the Blu-rays, but I haven't actually checked it out. The DVD it I've is, got is it, the bare bones. It is an
1: extra, and it's actually pretty good. Considering they were film students, I guess at the time, it's pretty good.
0: Well, um, one thing about this movie I think that works pretty well is that the general style of it, because they they shot this movie for like $1.2 million. They only had one or two takes of things at most, according to Lee 1L uh, and James Wan. So when they went back to do the editing, they didn't have like the amount of coverage that they needed. So that's why you get the general style of this movie where there's all those cuts to security camera footage of, of people you can't really make out. And there's all these still images that get projected on the screen and newspaper articles that they were trying to paper over the cracks of what they couldn't afford to shoot, which is one of the reasons why this movie is basically Two dude, three dudes in the room and one of them doesn't talk because they could afford to shoot that for their $1 million. How do you feel about the style of this movie and how do you feel that like this movie has aged? Okay, so style-wise, I
1: actually really like the style. I think that shoddy, slapdash style actually works in its favor, makes the whole thing a little bit unnerving. Uh, the, I, I love movies that put a lot of effort into like prop work so like in terms of newspaper articles and stuff they really sold the idea that this guy was terrorizing la or wherever these guys are located so i i liked all that as for aging that's a different question for me because i actually felt this movie did not age as well as i remembered it and i don't know if that that's i think that's more expectation i had going in i remember really liking this film and then when i watched it this time i was like man lee Wanell really ruins a lot of this for me with his overacting although he did get a genuine laugh out of me when he fakes dying with the poison cigarette
0: yeah i did kind of laugh about that one too because they're trying to get the attention of uh zepp Hindle, except they think zepp is jigsaw they don't know he's just Someone else lured into playing this game by Jigsaw. (sighs) Zip, Tap, Sing. Everybody in this movie has a really weird name. Except except for Gordon. It's funny you should mention that because I can't help but wonder if Lawrence Gordon, the character, is named after 80s super producer Lawrence Gordon, who did such Christmas classics as Die Hard and Die Hard 2, uh, as well as Predator, Hellboy... Uh, I mentioned Die Hard, Boogie Nights, and shout out to Michael Scott of the 20th Century Movie Club slash Dana Buckler Show slash Atkins Undisputed, the most complete podcast in the world. Lawrence Gordon did one of his favorite movies and one of my favorite movies, Streets of Fire. Oh, wow. Okay. Which, have have you seen Streets of Fire? I have seen Streets of Fire. I love Streets of Fire. Do you know who wrote all that music? Who? Jim Steinman. Oh, wow. The late Jim Steinman who just passed away not too long before we record this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what the music in that movie rules. That's awesome. I did not know that. I have a question
1: for you about this film. What did you think of the <laughs> strategy here that Lawrence and Adam developed to lie to each other the whole time, give each other half-truths, etc., while locked in this bathroom? Because to me, I feel like they may have come up with a more coherent plan had they just been straight with each other. Every step of the way.
0: Yeah, it takes them a long time to come around to actually telling each other the truth. Now, it makes sense for Adam not to want to cooperate because, you know, he's got those incriminating pictures that he took, and he's part of this plot that ensnared Gordon. And if the guy's already been told he has to kill you or else, you really don't want to give him ammunition to kill you. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: it 100% makes sense, but. I feel like almost I almost feel like Jigsaw is counting on them, <laughs> like <laughs> not working together for his plan to work.
0: Yeah, uh, I could definitely see that. But man, I bet uh, Zep wishes that they just he'd actually just killed him then. But no, that uh, that uh, the fake the fake death is pretty funny. Uh, but it helps that uh, it establishes that not only are these guys being watched, they can be controlled with that electricity that comes back to play at the very end of the film. Yes,
1: and. You know, I would almost consider both of these guys somewhat lucky, Gordon and uh, Adam, because when you look at the other traps featured in this film—the bear trap and then crawling through all the razor wire and things like that—I would much rather be chained in a ba- in a grimy old bathroom than have to drag my body over razor wire or have my jaw reverse snapped in half that way.
0: Yeah, they they definitely got the the easier, physically easier torment. It's just you lose a foot, which I mean, you know, if you eat enough snack cakes, you'll lose a foot anyway due to the diabetes. <laughs> that's that's necessarily a, a thing that Carrie always is going to have to worry about at this point. But you know, but he wouldn't have even necessarily have lost the foot. Zepp was coming in to kill him there at the end. If he had just let him put a bullet in his head, yeah. But I, I don't think Gordon is the kind of guy who's who would be willing to go into that good that good night, especially. Once this, this whole plot has been exposed to him because Adam, you know, reveals that, uh, you know, Adam does reveal that uh, he might be working with Jigsaw, but there's that picture of Zep that he recognizes in the collection of photographs. And I don't know, I can't help but keep wondering what Zep did to get to to deserve all this because we don't see him doing anything terrible at any point. And we get the whole backstory of Adam and how he gets abducted and Gordon and how he gets abducted and what causes, you know, what tangles their relationship together. But Zepp just is, he got poisoned. That's all we know. Mm-hmm. Another
1: que- I have another question for you. So we already are in agreement that Billy the puppet's iconic and works on a, for us on every level. I don't know how you feel, but the pig costume, the weird dirty pig with the hair doesn't do it for me.
0: No, it's not nearly as effective as like the masks that they were in The Strangers or the first or or the Purge movies. Those are more iconic masks. Pig mask is, just makes me think of like a tame version of uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 when he puts the pig head over his head. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but no, that's a that's a good question. So, Gordon saws off his foot, then he uses that revolver to shoot Adam. Do you think they had planned it so he would let him live? Or do you think Gordon is just like a really bad shot?
1: I think he's a really bad shot in that moment because he's so distraught in that moment. I don't think he had the reasoning power even with himself to plan it to let Adam live.
0: That's a, that's a fair statement. So he he shoots Adam, but Adam doesn't die. But like you mentioned, it's already kind of too late because he it's already gone past six o'clock. There was just a problem that Zep wasn't able to actually kill anyone Like you had one job Zip and you didn't do it <laughs> so you get the Zip versus Allison fight which is pretty good and then Danny Glover leaves the evidence dungeon and runs across the street to join in when he hears the commotion or sees the commotion through the security cameras
1: Right, and, I, and I'm glad uh, Danny Glover's character gets a little moment there action beat there considering the fact that <laughs> he got beat up at the beginning of this film <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so you get so you get Zep, who kind of gets beat up by Allison, and then Zip and Tap run off into the sewers and have their fight. Do you think Danny Glover at this point is still young enough to be a conceivable action hero type? Uh, from an unbiased perspective, no. From
1: a biased perspective, he was Murtaugh, so I'm, I like to pretend, like you said earlier, this is probably Murtaugh later in life, so I still buy it in a way. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they had to go into uh, the Witness Protection Program after the events of uh, 3, and he has now been established as Tag, who works up north.
1: (laughs) Um, But it's this commotion. It's a comedy of errors, a dark comedy of errors, because Gordon hears all the screaming and the gunshots and assumes at this point his wife and daughter got it, which is what really makes him distraught he doesn't realize the gunshot was Zepp's shooting tap. At least that's how I interpreted it.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what you're meant to uh, get from that. And it's also the kind of convenient thing that forces Gordon to lose the phone and he can't get the phone. So he doesn't know he doesn't get that call from his wife back or anything to say that everything is okay. So that's when he starts to saw off his foot, he gets the gun and he shoots at him. Now Zepp, he comes into the room to shoot Gordon because he's been delayed by shooting tap. Am I correct? Yes. So then Zep comes in and then Adam springs up like Jason and just starts bludgeoning this guy to death <laughs> with a toilet seat. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like Zep deserved the uh, Boondock Saints death
1: do i think he deserved that i don't even think he deserved being roped in jigsaw's game to begin with <laughs> he were getting, all it would have taken was another one of those 30 second really quick montages to show that oh this guy was into like kitty porn or something and jigsaw wanted to punish him
0: yeah or like that he was incompetent at the hospital and kept giving people the wrong dosage of drugs and that's why he's got to fight through the poison
1: and i i'll say about jigsaw as well this is something that sets him off Sets him apart from a lot of horror movies. Like, he actually has a. Yeah, you look at Ghostface, you look at Jason, you look at Freddy, you look at Chucky. They're not going after bad people, they're just out for blood. Like, this guy at least is going after who, in his mind, he sees as bad people. Not that, mm-hmm. not that if you have an affair, you deserve to die necessarily. Well well, at all, but I'm sure your spouse would think you will do, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like he's actually at least he has a code he's working by. I think that's the best way to put it. And I I like that about the character. And that's one of the saving graces for me in the sequels. No matter how convoluted they ended up making his backstory, like he always stuck by his code. And I found that interesting about him.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting because uh, he does, he does seem to have a code except for when he just sets up that random booby trap to kill that kill Sing. Oh God. Yeah. Which is one of the bigger torture pointy moments or splattery moments of the film. Cause he gets basically five shotguns to the face.
1: Th- that scene annoyed me by the way. And I'll tell you why, because <laughs> and it was, they have seen at this point what the jigsaw killer can do. Both cops, they seen the aftermath of God knows how many crime scenes at this point. And They have him dead to rights for about two minutes with him just on his knees, holding his hands behind his back. Just shoot the guy. He's not going to tell you how to undo the trap. Shoot him and then worry about the trap. At least take him out and go out a hero if you're going to die.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good point. But, you know, maybe they can't shoot him because they don't know if he's maybe because they maybe they can't shoot him because they they're not sure if he's black or not. (laughs) Anthony <laughs> maybe they were just you know waiting for him to be Danny Glover shade before they pulled the trigger <laughs> fair point they must have had a uh... well it's the thing everybody points to in the news right you know all the the white mass murderers get um, you know safely taken into custody by the police and get driven through McDonald's and stuff and, and other people not so lucky. <laughs> Yeah, that, uh, that's fair. Actually,
1: yeah, fair. I take back my criticism. That was actually going to be believable. They were going to take him alive. White
0: old man. No, it isn't believable. As we've already mentioned, Adam Voorhees is up and beats Zip to death. And then Gordon, who's missing a foot, decides he's going to crawl off to get help. There's one person left who knows for sure that Gordon is having an affair on his wife. And that's the guy who is currently locked in that bathroom. Now, even if Gordon was thinking if Gordon was thinking straight, do you think he would come back for him? Oh, that's a good question. I, I, mm. There,
1: Well, so I was under the impression, you don't think the wife knew he was having an affair? You don't think Sepp told her in all their hours he spent together? I was kind of under the impression they were clearly
0: having marriage issues.
1: I don't know. I just kind of assumed she
0: had an inkling, at least. I mean, I'm sure she knew something was wrong, but... I don't know if I don't know if Zepp is going to tell her that. Also, shout out to Allison, who is Monica Potter. Yes. Who is in a very, very small role. And the only smaller role is probably that of uh, the girl who played Dizzy Flores in um, Starship Troopers, Gina Meyer, <laughs> who, who's in this movie for like two minutes. Yeah, she is. So, <laughs> so that, that's another That's
1: another question I have for you. This movie, you, you're bringing up a lot of good points here, making me ask a lot of questions. Didn't, I don't know if it's true that the last person to know he was having an affair was Adam, because didn't his lawyer get him to confess to the cops? And that's why he was eliminated as a suspect. Like, oh, here's his alibi. He was at a hotel room sleeping with his assistant.
0: That's a very good point. So, so what you're saying is Gordon also has the potential; he has the motive to kill all these people. So maybe he's working in concert with Jigsaw. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that would be another twist that the movie uh, that that I would not have been expecting, especially <laughs> after he cuts his own foot off. But as they establish in later movies, Jigsaw ends up having that kind of power over people because Amanda comes back working with him, and then which lends credence
1: to your earlier statement he's uh using the manson alibi right he has manson's power of persuasion here over the cult he builds around himself
0: yeah which which basically takes this into uh the following territory if you remember that <laughs> yeah. that show oh yeah i do
1: that shot uh, that shot a lot of episodes in my neighborhood actually really yep they sh- they shot a few
0: in my friend's backyard
1: like a few of the outside shots and the. yeah that's a good show i like that
0: show no kidding! I was a big fan of that show. I was actually, I actually reviewed it for Den of Geek at the time. Did all three seasons. Had a really good time with it. It's one of the reasons why I ended up on Filmstrip with Jay because we were started talking about that show. We both loved it, so we knew our tastes would align. Oh, that's awesome. Well enough, movie-wise. Yeah, Gordon goes off to get help, or you know, to crawl off somewhere and pass out for a while, and then Adam is searching all over the place for the key and getting frustrated. Then you see the corpse sits up. He grabs that gross. Uh, appliance pulls it off of his head and it's the guy who was in the hospital bed, uh John Kramer, AKA jigsaw. And I I love when he first starts to get up. It's
1: not, he is not in focus in the frame. You're focused on Adam in the forefront and you just see this blurry. He's blurry in the background, standing to his feet. Mm-hmm. And it was the audible WTF moment. You can curse on this podcast, right? Yeah. It was an audible. What the fuck moment in the theaters when he got up when he started rising in the background
0: yeah i remember that that getting a big reaction in the theater when i saw it and it's still really effective it it holds together really well uh, out of a lot of the things in this movie does that don't hold up uh this is one of the things that does at least for me yeah
1: absolutely but it does do you think he intended for adam to live ever Because it kind of seemed a little uh fishy to me that this guy says to him the key to your ankle thing is in the bathtub when adam woke up in the bathtub attached to the plug and the key immediately went down the drain i don't think there was any way that key was going to survive
0: oh no but i think the whole point was that the key was never going to survive i think the whole point was that adam was going to die either way because he couldn't escape right gordon would have to do it yeah gordon would have to do it yeah and I thought that was a nice reveal that that the key that the key went down the drain. I thought that was pretty funny. So Adam then turns the gun on Jigsaw, and the Deus Ex electrocution comes back again. Now, was Jigsaw controlling that the whole time from his corpse pose? That's a good point. I never,
1: I didn't think about that, but that makes sense to me. That he would. I don't know if he would have necessarily had the technology to have zap zap him from whatever room he was watching this grainy footage on. That probably
0: was him. But at no point do they notice that he's moving, which, but I guess maybe they had more important things on their mind at the time. I mean, they didn't notice he was breathing either. That's true. But Adam (laughs) gets one last shock and then Jigsaw leaves the room, shuts off the light and leaves Adam to die. And we get a really cool montage of uh, stills as part of the credits. And that's uh, one of my favorite things about this movie is that it's got, it does have a pretty good style. I think
1: you're forgetting when he's the iconic line as he's leaving him to die, he says game over and slams the door shut.
0: I didn't know that was an iconic line. I thought the, it was all just the, the doll rolling up and saying, let's play a game. <laughs> I
1: associate both lines of these movies. Cause I think both are set in like every one, but I like the style of this movie too. I really liked this whole bathroom set watching it on my tv at home i felt it felt claustrophobic and the whole time i was thinking to myself man it would be awful being chained in such a dirty grimy bathroom that looked like it smelled and they just got dirtier and dirtier as the movie went on like it did a good job making that alone look like psychological torture
0: yeah it definitely was grimy and i can't help but think of the uh Bathroom from the subway station in the Warriors, and how this looks like a disused New York City subway bathroom.
1: I was about to say, I'm used to bathrooms like this. I live, I, i love, I live close enough
0: to the city. I've been in a few, <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have them in the the subway stations anymore. They, I think they got rid of all of them except for like a Grand Central.
1: That that is correct, except for like private ones or the workers. Like,
0: but yeah, but not. Uh, but can the workers? chain a couple of people pretending to be Americans up. TBD. <laughs> <laughs> not, to, not to, you know, uh, much like we hate movies, this is also a pro-mafia podcast. So, you know, <laughs> I didn't see nothing. I didn't say nothing. This is all satire and uh, 100% for comedy purposes.
1: <laughs> Did they ever explain in this movie why he's... I mean, it was the fact that he's cutting off jigsaw pieces from... The dead people, I guess I know it gave him his name, but what's the point of that? Like, I didn't see them anywhere in his lair as like trophies or.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a a thread that goes nowhere. So I'm not sure what the, the whole point of that was.
1: I really thought his lair was cool, but that thing, I don't know how nobody found it sooner. <laughs> it's like this abandoned area of town. It, uh, like, that wasn't above, that wasn't underground. That was like an abandoned warehouse or something.
0: Yeah, that was just another abandoned warehouse in the abandoned warehouse district.
1: Yeah, like, so that place would have been discovered by a bunch of teenagers looking to have a, an illegal
0: rave at some point in this neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, or those uh, dudes who do that urban exploration where they break an old buildings things and creep around and yeah
1: you would have got Discovery Channel going uh, for their haunted series yeah Zach
0: Bagans and the Ghost Adventures crew are just going to storm in <laughs> <laughs> hey demon I heard you were lame are you mad at me now you're going to fight me and then jigsaw, <laughs> on, demon, let's fight the jigsaw comes out and stabs him to death <laughs> that would actually have been
1: really funny <laughs> that
0: would be, that's more of a scary movie than a saw thing <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm surprised if if scary movie like eight didn't do that one, but yeah, that's um, that's a good question about Jigsaw, and I don't even remember if they talk about that later in the movies, except maybe he wasn't the one cutting the jigsaw pieces out, and it was one of his helpers, and I've just forgotten it.
1: I don't know because he, for as many people as he gets to fall under his culty spell. A lot of them do not have the same code he has later on in the films, which just pisses him off to no end
0: repeatedly. You know, it, it, if it keeps happening, maybe you should try a different, um, you know, resume builder service. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so Jigsaw has his code. And one of the things we do here on Film Strip is we have our final thoughts, our recommendations, and our popcorn ratings. We're just going to go ahead and get into it now because I think we've about talked all of Saw out. But Anthony, because you are the guest, what are your final thoughts and what's your popcorn rating? My final thoughts, kind of like
1: The Sixth Sense and other films that are kind of had this big twist at the end. I feel like a lot of it, your enjoyment level is going to come based on how much the twist works for you. This twist really worked for me. The twist with the jigsaw at the end. And unlike The Sixth Sense, it has... It still works for me in repeated viewings. Now, I haven't seen it in a while, so that's, maybe that's why it works so well for me, but this film is good. It it was, seemed a little dated. Lee Winnell was a bit iffy, but I would recommend it. I would, at least once, even if you're not a fan of gore porn, like you said earlier, you made a really good point, this one... Is not as gory, nowhere near as gory to watch as many of its sequels. This one looks nothing like a lot of its sequels. I would really recommend watching it at least once if you're a fan of horror, or even not horror, but thrillers, because again, I think this is I think this is more of a thriller comparable to Seven. Not saying it's up to Seven's quality, but that's just a film it reminded me of for some reason while watching it. The the plot. So I'm going to give this a large popcorn. I, I really
0: enjoyed it. What about you, Ron? You, you make some good points. It is kind of dated, um, but it's not as bad as you think it's going to be in terms of, of Splatter. And it's not as bad as I remember it being the first time I watched it and the first several times I watched it. Like you, it's been a few years since I've gotten around to checking it out again. And um I have to say that I liked it much more this time than I did the last time. Lee One L's accent makes Carrie Elway's accent sound good. <laughs> and that is meant to be a slight onto both of them because they both are have terrible accents. Uh, Danny Glover is very sweaty in his part. He just looks listening, but they only had him for two days, so he probably really was running around breaking a sweat between setups. You know, this movie has a lot more interesting people in it than I think uh, I'd been expecting. It's always nice to see Shawnee Smith. And I know she comes back bigger in a bigger way later in the, the series, but it's nice to see her, you know? So, uh, it's a really enjoyable cast. It's, um, not the greatest performance in the world, but, uh, you know, you'll have some fun with Lee Winnell and you'll have some fun imitating Carrie always. And that's always a good time. (laughs) And yeah, Jigsaw, in spite of everything has become one of the most, uh, has become a horror icon. Right, right, alongside you know, not necessarily Freddy and Jason, but he's definitely in like the third tier with like Ghostface, Pinhead, Candyman, and and those kind of guys. I'd put Ghostface ahead of him. I'd put Ghostface in the Leatherface, Ghostface, Michael Myers kind of tier, and then you've got Freddy and Jason basically alone at the top. That's fair. And then you've got like your Leprechaun in there somewhere. Your Chucky's in there somewhere. Two questions because you just mentioned leprechaun, did you see they're coming out with a Vampacon
1: vampire leprechaun movie? I read this today on was it i g n or i o nine
0: one of those Gizmodo I have not heard about that, and uh, and I hate that you mentioned it because now i'm probably going to have to watch it <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah, they put out an open
1: invitation for War Davis to return. They said he's not attached, but if he wants to come back, sure, he can come back.
0: I mean, uh, why not? What's he got going on?
1: And secondly, do you think, um, Jigsaw, you said he has become one of these iconic villains, and I completely agree. But do you think he would have become as iconic if he didn't have Billy the Puppet? Because a lot of the no, ones... Of yeah of course
0: not. I agree. It's 100% Billy the Puppet plus Tobin Bell's voice. I think even without Tobin Bell's great voice, uh, Billy the Puppet only can get you about 70% of the way there. Yep. And I think the Tobin Bell delivering the... Uh, Hello, Amanda. Very sparse, very threat-laden dialogue of Lee Winnell and Darren Lynn bowsman and other people later on. I think that uh, he's the thing that makes uh he's the the presence that kind of holds this movie together even though he's not he's retroactively important and i think without him setting up in that final scene you don't have this franchise and i definitely don't think this movie works as well as if it's a traditional setup so yeah um maybe i was in a better mood who knows but uh i'm going to go with a nice medium popcorn with extra butter or rather I should say a medium popcorn with cheese, because this is a pretty cheesy film with some pretty <laughs> uh, cheesy performances and a very cheesy American accent that uh, goes back around. and becomes funny again. So I will do a medium popcorn with extra cheese.
1: And I, I just want to clarify with my large popcorn. It's a large popcorn. That's maybe like it's kind you get first showing in the morning, the stylish popcorn from overnight, but it's still really mm-hmm.
0: enjoyable. <laughs> The the the, th- the the popcorn they tell you that, that's not stale, but it actually is, yeah. Yeah.
1: 100%. <laughs> I would love to, in the future, cover the sequels with you <laughs> at some point. And when they ultimately do, you know, Annabelle versus Billy versus Chucky,
0: I am down for that film. I would love to see uh, Annabelle versus Billy versus Robert the Doll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since Robert the doll is technically real and Annabelle is also technically real, in quotation marks. Yes. But for more about my thoughts on the warrants, listen to uh, the uh, special Conjuring and Conjuring Two and Conjuring Verse episode we did for the Tis the Podcast Patreon. Speaking of your Patreon, Anthony, this is the portion of the show where you get to plug whatever it is that you're interested in plugging. Check out Tis the Podcast, a
1: podcast determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year by covering different Christmas movies, television specials, and TV episodes. You can find us by searching Tis a Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or you can go to www.tispodcast.com and like Ron said, we also have a Patreon in which you can get bonus content, bonus episodes not necessarily related to Christmas. It's a lot of fun. It's a really cool community. You know, it may be Christmas focused, but lots of non-Christmas talk as well. And yeah, we drop a new episode every Monday for all 2021. We are dropping an episode every Thursday in which a different podcast host or listener of our show uh, reads a chapter of a book I wrote. And Ron has lent his voice to a chapter. Jay will be lending his voice to a chapter later on this year. So pretty cool.
0: Check it out. Yeah, and getting getting to participate that Anthony was a lot of fun and and a good time for me. And I'm and I'm grateful that you gave me the invitation to try out my best New York accent for you. <laughs> I ap- I
1: appreciate you doing it. I appreciate you doing it, and I appreciate the support and everything.
0: Um, sharing that book and everything uh, it means a lot. So thank you. Yeah, it definitely was. It definitely wasn't the the most stereotypical thing you've ever heard, and it definitely wasn't more offensive to the city of New York than than anything I could think of. <laughs> I, I made a genuine effort to tone it down on my second go-through, because it, it, originally it, the, the mother especially was a lot more um, uh, everybody loves Raymond.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, it had me laughing. People liked it. A uh, Facebook group. A lot of people have commented. They really enjoyed your accent, straight out of Central Casting. Somebody said so.
0: <laughs> yes, straight out of the Bellevue.
1: <laughs> and yeah, uh, like I said about uh, Patreon, check it out. Ron and Lindsay were both in the recent Conjuring episode. Ron and Jay did Godzilla versus Kong with us there. You'll hear their voices. I'm sure I'll rope Ron into doing some more stuff this year on Patreon as well. <laughs>
0: And speaking of Patreon exclusives, if you are not familiar with the Creepy Cove Community Church, it is a podcast by a horror fanatic slash real life Baptist minister, Peter Laws. Each show is basically a church service from this t- this town of Creepy Cove, where all the horror movie characters live and all the horror movies exist. And they'll cut in he he'll cut in real clips of, for example. I was recently on a special Patreon episode that tied back to a recent thing he did involving Michael Myers, where I play a security guard and Michael Myers kills me, or at least tears my arm off and leaves me bloody and and (laughs) dismembered in the the church graveyard because he was part of his community outreach was to work for the church. And they said, oh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on him. And then, you know, clearly terrible things happen because I get mangled. That is amazing. I presumably die, but that... Actually, is was a special feature on the Creepy Cove Community Church Patreon, and I recommend just checking the podcast out. I was a fan of his previous podcast, "The Flicks That Church Forgot." He and I actually crossed paths briefly because he works. He has a column or had a column in the Fortean Times newspaper or magazine in the UK that talks about weird stuff and horror movies and general creepery, and. (laughs) I was in one of their sister magazines, Micro Mart. I did a couple features for Micro Mart when Simon Brew was the editor and when that magazine was around. They were both owned by Dennis Publishing, who also owned, at the time, Den of Geek. Oh, wow. Where I started. yeah. So he doesn't know that, but he and I have crossed paths before I was on his Patreon. Small world. At least in the sense that we both got paid by the same company for, for a few articles, in my case, and for... Many good articles in his case. So you're
1: branching out from uh, just podcasting and writing to the acting, huh? You're a security guard. You're a New York mother. Gonna ro- <laughs> gonna rope you into the uh podcast. It's a Wonderful Life radio play we're doing for Christmas in July.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh. I- I'll I'll give you my agent's contact information. You can get in touch with me through them. <laughs> it's not CAA. It's more like the ACC. <laughs> 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 but yes, uh yeah, uh so if you're so inclined, throw a few dollars the reverend's way and check that out and and listen to the special. Uh, I got to listen to it even though I'm not a patron because um, I took part in it and he wanted me to, to get a chance to listen to it. it. I thought it was a lot of fun and had I been a Patreon backer of Creepy Cove, I would have been very pleased with what I heard because it was really well done. And he wrote it himself, and he does all the music for his podcast. And he, he's really quite an impressive dude. But I'm not here to promote Creepy Cove or someone else's podcast. I'm here to promote my podcast, Filmstrip Podcast. You can find it anywhere pods are casted. iTunes, all of the Android things. I don't know, the Microsoft Zoom. We'll say that's a th- that's that'll happen. First-generation iPod. Whatever you can load a podcast onto, you'll find our <laughs> podcast there. <laughs> uh you can find us on social media at uh Instagram and Twitter slash filmstrip pod for both of those. I believe the Facebook page is also Filmstrip Pod. And uh, we have a link tree. Yeah, if you search Filmstrip Podcast, uh we will pop up and you will get to peruse one of our 301 Dalmatians. <laughs> And also our 301 episodes that have been recorded before this, where all of your horror favorites are basically already covered. All of your weird favorites are also there. I personally recommend checking out uh, the podcast that uh, I did with Jay and Nick on The Room, the great Tommy Wiseau movie.
1: (laughs) I would recommend checking out New Year's Evil, in which myself and my co-host Tom uh, talked that, very fun new year's horror movie with ron and jay
0: or go back to uh rare exports when we did rare exports (laughs) and uh (laughs) anthony and a very scandalized uh was it was it you and julia it was me and julia yeah a very scandalized julia got to talk about uh reindeer sausage
1: (laughs) i can't believe you guys have over 300 episodes that's crazy
0: well, uh, we're switching to uh, every other week uh, from this point forward because it's a, it's basically a, it's a very small operation we run here and that there's usually one person doing all the work, and now that person is me, which means that you're competing with uh, my day job, my writing, and my toddler for my very limited time and attention. But I'm going to do my best to keep getting those episodes out there every two weeks, whether you ask for them or not, whether I have a fun guest or I don't, whether my guest is the worst or the best. <laughs> well, if you ever need a guest,
1: I am always game. You might want to, uh, <coughs> listening back to our Conjuring episode, I'm not sure if Lindsay knew what to make of me, so you might want
0: to keep us on separate episodes, but it was a fun time anyway. <laughs> Yeah, we uh we will definitely have you back on Anthony and we will actually probably end up doing more Saw movies so I hope you're ready for that. I don't think I'm going to take on all 10 of the Saw movies, but uh we can certainly come back for Saw 2 and Saw 3 and and kind of uh do the trilogy. S- see how that see, do the original trilogy and do the we can do the uh prequel sequels uh at a later date. Uh, just so uh, we don't totally get burnt out on watching people get mangled with horrible things because that's <laughs> such an important part of both of our uh, home media lives.
1: <laughs> Sounds good to me, and I appreciate you letting me on this time around
0: no problem anthony'm uh, glad I was glad to have you on, and I look forward to, to doing it again for now. This has been the film strip podcast for Anthony. I'm Ron. Good night.